Well, as Pastor Dave mentioned, we're going to continue our series, uh, Choosing Shalom. And if you remember from the first week, uh, as Pastor Dave kicked off the series, he, he gave us from the Bible Project, uh, Dr. Tim Mackey, uh, gave us a definition of shalom. And part of that definition was this statement. I want to read it for you. When two rival nations experience shalom, they don't simply stop fighting. They start working together for each other's benefits. Now, with that in mind, today we're going to uh, continue the series. And today we're going to talk about choosing generosity and sort of focus on that portion of the definition that I just read. Now, the key question that I want to ask as we start today is, what, uh, what is generosity at first glance? I found this uh, definition this week as I, was, as I was preparing for today. Generosity is giving what you can afford to help others and being gracious in receiving from others only what they can afford to give. There's an image that kind of comes to mind that, that kind of counters that definition. And you've probably experienced it. You're watching uh, TV or you're, you're on social media and this uh, video or this commercial comes on that tries to capitalize on your generosity. Uh, there's pictures of family uh, that are on there that are impoverished. There's uh, hungry children that are, that are on the screen as you're watching it. There's abused animals, and there's something that, that stirs in your heart where suddenly you go, i, I got to give to this thing. i got to help in this situation. And we end up sometimes committing to give more than we can actually afford because we give out of guilt rather than thoughtful consideration. Today, I want to suggest a definition or a, a better way to look at generosity and to consider how we can choose generosity. Uh, our passage to ponder that we've been working through during this series is found in John chapter 14, verse 25 to 27. If you're able to, would you stay with me and let's, let's read it together uh, this morning. Nice and loud so the person next to you can hear you. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid." Excellent. You may be seated. This passage, I think, gives us an image of how shalom and generosity work together. See, God, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, as Pastor Dave was talking about as he prayed today as well, has constantly been giving, been giving of himself to us. In this verse, in these uh, verses here, as Jesus shares these, he, he promises the Spirit would come and that his followers would experience the shalom or the peace of God. And he describes it as something that is not as the world gives. What does that mean? He describes it as a peace with, without strings attached, as something that is not temporary. This is something that will, is lasting, that he gives to us. And so Jesus reminds us in these verses that because of this, because this peace that he gives us that will last, that we don't need to be troubled or afraid. 
this helps us or points to the, a model of generosity that we find in the scriptures. And so let's take a look at this model here. We'll begin with God's generosity to Israel. If we go to uh, Exodus chapter 13, I'm going to read, there's a few verses here, and so I'm going to read it for you and sort of walk you through this. Uh, these first few verses that we find in chapter 13 is, is Israel as they've left Egypt and they're on their way to the Red Sea. It says the Israelites left Sukkoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud. And he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This is the very first night light that we see here you know, in Scripture. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Then we jump to Exodus chapter 15, the last verse, and then we'll go into verse 16. And this is on the other side of the Red Sea. If you remember the story, it's when they come to the Red Sea, the Egyptians pursue them. And, and, and Moses says, as he talks to God, he says, what do we do? We're, they're going to they're gonna run us down. They're going to kill us. And God speaks to him and says, go to the, to the people and tell them, Stand still and see the deliverance of God. And, it's, and it says how the, the, uh, they were there. They went to the edge of the Red Sea and it opened up. And they walked through on dry land. And then when the Egyptians, come, the water, Egyptians came, the water came back and drowned them all and wiped out all of Pharaoh's army. They saw an amazing thing happen. And so they're on the other side of the Red Sea at this point. We'll pick it up, chapter 15, verse 27. After leaving Mara, the Israelites traveled on to the oasis of Elam, where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there beside the water. Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. Okay, keep that in mind, because what happens here? There, too... In this place, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. <laughs> this is great, isn't it? God's brought them out of the land, set them free, parted the Red Sea, got them through it on dry land. It's not even a month after they've left Egypt, and they're already complaining, Oh, I, God should have just killed us back in Egypt. Really? They moaned. Everybody say they moaned. Have you ever moaned before? Complain? Found yourself in a mood where you're complaining about stuff and somebody goes, what are you complaining about? There we sat around as they're talking about Egypt. Pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. They forget that they were in bondage. But now you've brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day, the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will gather food, and when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. Then down to verse 13. That evening, vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp. And the next morning, the area of the camp was wet with dew. And when the dew evaporated, a flaky substance 
As fine as frost blanketed the ground. This is where we get the idea of manna, if you've heard of. God provided uh, bread for them through manna. The Israelites were, were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? That's literally what manna means. They asked each other. They had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, It is the food the Lord has given you to eat. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. And those who gathered a lot had nothing left over. And those who gathered only a little had enough. And each family had just what it needed. Wow. God begins this model of generosity by providing for Israel. The cloud to guide them during the day. And as you can imagine, even under the hot sun, they had this cloud that was leading it, that they could be in the shade of the pillar of fire by night. If you've ever been in the desert uh, at night, the temperature drops. It's possible that this pillar not only guided them and gave them light at night so they could travel, but brought them some form of heat to stay warm. Quail, water, manna. He was faithfully present with Israel. And provided for them. And he was trying to teach them that he was faithful. That he would be there for them. He would never leave them. That he would provide for them. And challenge them to trust him. And to be good stewards with what he had entrusted them. Well this model of generosity continues when Jesus comes. In Luke chapter 4, we, we find these verses where Jesus is in, uh, in, in the synagogue in Nazareth. If you are going on the trip to Israel, you're going to love when you go to Nazareth. They, there's, uh, there's, they say it's a first century uh, uh, synagogue that's there, and you'll picture yourself. It'll be incredible. I'm doing a little plug for the Israel trip. You'll want to go. It's, it's just amazing. But Jesus stands up in the town that he was raised in as a boy in the synagogue in Nazareth, and he reads the scripture that day from Isaiah. But when he reads it, he actually is giving them his mission, the whole reason why he came. And listen to what he reads from Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus' Jesus' mission was to give generously to all who would recognize their need, all those who were lost, all those that are searching. Jesus gives his mission here, a mission of generosity to give good news to those who had lost sight. The gospel, the message of Jesus is good news. Have you experienced good news? I hope you have. It's good news for us. That's why we can sing about hope and peace and life. Life to the fullest. Well, this model of of generosity continues with the Spirit. The Spirit comes and generously gives gifts to believers. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, as Peter is describing what's taken place on the, on the day of Pentecost, he, he quotes from Joel a prophecy that says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people, your sons 
and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And the Spirit comes. The Spirit is sent on the day of Pentecost to the church to be poured out on all people. But not just that. The generosity of God comes not just to bring the Spirit to live inside believers and followers of Christ. Because when we make that decision to follow Him, the Spirit comes to live in us, to help us, to direct us, to guide us, but also to empower us, to give us what we need so that we can be, as we read in Acts, to be bold witnesses, to walk out the path that God has for us, to be led and to be guided by the Spirit. Pastor Dave is going to, next week as he finishes up our series, he's going to talk about more of this. But we, the generosity of God is seen as the Spirit comes to empower us, men and women, of everyone of all ages, if we would believe and receive. And then the church follows this model in its response to each other and to the world. In Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 42 to 47, and chapter 4, as uh, Pastor uh, Ken read this morning, we read about the first church, and it talks about in those verses there, they devoted themselves, they prayed, they had a deep sense of awe, they shared with each other, they helped each other, they bring to the apostles, we can go to the next slide, share with whoever it was in need, they would sell property to make sure that people were cared for. They worshiped together. And each day the Lord added to their number. Really? Is that a surprise for us? Imagine how attractive that first century community was because of their generosity and their love for each other. And in chapter 4, the next few verses here, we go to that. They're united in heart and mind. There were, look at There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them Bring the money to the apostles and give to those in need. In the next few verses, talk about Barnabas, son of encouragement, who sells property and gives so that people can be cared for. Talk about generosity. They gathered together, together and gave all to all in need. And this generosity of the church is seen in their response to each other and even to the people around them because people would come and see, what is this? These people are different because of their generosity, their love for each other, their love for God that overflows in how they treat each other, that they would sacrifice and give so that others would have enough. This model of generosity is what God asks us to follow. So in keeping with that model today, I've asked a couple of our uh, ushers today to help me. And there's one in the balcony is going to come right to the glass. And, and another one is going to be right in the back. And so there's five gift cards at each one of those. And so uh, if you'd like a Tim Hortons gift card, I want you to go see them right now. All right? Go ahead. Don't, it's, it, there's no trick to this, all right? There's no, there's, no, uh, you know, there's no strings attached. If you want it, go ahead and see them. They're standing up at the back. Really? There's no takers? Come on. It's okay. There we go. All right. Excellent. Yeah, yeah give them a hand if that's whatever it takes, right? Yeah, there we go. 
got any more? That's it. All right. We ran out fast. Ran out fast. I don't know if you noticed this. It takes a bit of priming for us to receive, doesn't it? Now, if I had said there's a $50 Tim Hortons gift card that they have there, you know, maybe a few more of you would have moved more, a little more quickly, right? Say, oh, five bucks. That's not a lot, but you say, oh, why would you do that? Because there's a model of generosity that we are to follow. We're to take from what we have. We're to give to others. No strings attached. I don't even know who got a gift card. You don't even have to tell me. But it's for you. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you got a gift card today, and you really need that gift card, then you hang on to it. All right? But if you can go without it, here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you to give it to somebody else. All right? And you don't have to give it to anybody here. You can go wherever you're going to be, rest of today or tomorrow. But I want you to take it. And it's going to burn a hole in your pocket, okay, if you don't do something with it, all right, unless you really need it, I want you to give it to somebody. Because that is what we're called to, this model of generosity. Well, thinking about that model, there's a couple of messages that we need to also hear as part of this. First is this. Worship the generous God. All right, what do you mean by that? I will bear with me here. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Isn't it interesting that of all the things that Jesus picks... When it comes to this verse, when he talks about serving two masters, that he chooses money. You know, he could have picked, you know, sex. He could have picked, you know, uh, 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 drugs, addiction. He could have picked a whole bunch of things. But he says here, you cannot serve two masters. Another version says, you cannot serve God and money. And I think he does it intentionally because we realize the power that money has. More importantly, the power that greed can have over our lives. There's a character in The Hobbit in The Lord of the Rings uh, by the name of Gollum, or Smeagol as he used to be called. And, and if you've watched the movie, you're, you're detested by him because he is this a shriveled up little man who has no hair on his body. And he talks to himself of all things. But he also has this struggle <coughs> where he wants the ring so desperately that at times he would kill someone or one of the hobbits just to get it. And he has this name for the ring. And what is it? My precious or my precious, as he says. <laughs> now, when you watch him, you get a little creeped out, don't you? Because of that, and yet he is a perfect picture of what greed has the potential to do with our lives if it consumes us. We are called to worship. 
We're made to worship. We're called to worship God, but how quickly is it for us to worship other things in our lives? How easy is it for us to be consumed in worshiping other things? And and when it comes to greed and money, to pursue those things and even to the point of hoarding. And the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is we can only focus on one thing at a time. We either can focus on God or focus on the other things that we worship, money being one of them. So my question for you today is, who are you serving? Who or what are you worshiping? And who or what is the most important to you and I? The other uh, message I think that we have to consider is this idea to trust the true God. Uh, Come with me again to Hebrews this time, chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. And the writer here uh, of Hebrews writes this, "Don't don't love money, be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Then on to Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, Paul writes these words. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which which have been given to us, In Christ Jesus. Once we discover and begin to live our lives of worship to the true God, we no longer have to worry about protection and provision. Now, it's good for us to to pray for those things, and and, and if that helps us to release those things to God. You know, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, uh, Peter writes, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. And so if we worry about our protection, our provision, there's times where we get anxiety, we're to, we're to pray and to give those things to God because the goal of it is to let those worries go. We are not to worry about our protection or our provision. We're to allow God to pry our fingers off the steering wheel of life, right? Some of us have this grip as Pastor Dave talks about, this white-knuckle grip on the steering wheel of our lives, and we want control, right? My precious. Oh, sorry, I won't do that again. <laughs> we want control, and God's going, ow, come on, let go. And we're like, okay. Because he wants us to trust him, that he will look after us, That he will provide for us. That everything in your life will be cared for by him when it's under his guidance and his control. In fact, I would go so far as to say everything in your life is in better hands with God than it is with your hands. Did you hear me today? You try to figure out your marriage. You try to do all the things to make it work. Let go and ask God, God, help me. Show me how to love my spouse the way that they need to be loved. I don't know how many times 
I've sensed God say, you know what, do this for Sonia. Because I'm a little slow on the uptake, you know? (laughs) And I miss a lot of stuff. You know, my kids used to laugh at me because in my planner, I'd say, okay, tell your kids you love them today. They'd say, Dad, why do you have to put that in your schedule? <laughs> really? You forget to lo- tell us you love us? I'd say, it's okay. It's for your benefit because I need this reminder. Just be thankful it's there. You worry about your kids, their protection, their future. When they're away from you, God is with them and watching over them. They're in better care than they are in your care. The question is, will we trust him? That he is in control. Will we let him guide our lives, our relationships, our jobs, our employment, our schooling? Will we let go and trust him? And I think when we do that, that generosity that he shows towards us can overflow from our lives so that we can be generous in every way to the people around us. To help us say, I've got four quick things I want to finish with here today that will, I hope will help us on this path to choosing generosity. The first is this. Generosity is fueled by investment. Every part of your life is God's business. Let me unpack that. Whatever you are invested in, you will be generous towards. Uh, when you buy, if you happen to buy a new boat, and you go and you, you purchase the new boat, and they go, okay, so do you want the additional, you know, like fish finder? Of course I want the fish finder, right? <laughs> do you want the speedometer? Yes, of course I want the speedometer, Right? Do you, like, we have a little upgrade for the, for the outboard motor. Do you want, of course I want that, right? And you don't even think about it, right? And your spouse goes, are you sure we can afford this, right? But you don't think about because you're investing in it. Or you go and, you know, you're shopping for, for a new RV, and you're like, okay, well, we've got this new thing. It's a self-driving RV. Of course I want the self-driving RV. I'm not going to spare any money. I've invested in this. So I'm going to be more generous. Or schooling. You, know, you, you want for your kids and you're, maybe you're paying for school for them or you're investing in school yourself and you, you invest in and you're going to, okay, I'm going to pay the extra so I can have this. Whatever we sort of uh, buy into, invest in, we're generous towards. Sometimes without hesitation. What I'd ask you to think about today and consider is to have that same mindset towards the most important things in life. The kingdom of God stuff. In our marriages. In our relationships. Generosity is fueled by investment. Don't be afraid to be generous in the things that are the most important things. And think about this for a moment. There's never a time that we can say or get to say to God, God, it's none of your business what I do in this part of my life. It's none of your business. We we don't get to say that to God. God is to be a part of every part of our lives. There aren't these areas that we can hang on to and keep away. So no, God, you can't touch that area. 
It'll blow up on you if we get that attitude. Generosity is fueled by investment. Every part of your life is part of God's business. Secondly, generosity strengthens relationships while borrowing strains relationships. When we're generous with others uh, with no strings attached, it creates the stronger bond, doesn't it? When you go out of your way to do something for someone, no strings attached, and, 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 and you know, it's a little bit like we talked about today. It's hard to receive at times, but it's okay. If we're too proud to receive, there's a problem just as much as we're too proud to give. Because God wants to give. What if we said, no, God, I, I don't want what you have for me? What is that? Generosity is important, but it, requires, it strengthens relationships, but in the same way, borrowing puts strain on them. You know, when you're in a relationship with somebody, and, and you've probably experienced this, and they go, hey, can I, can I, borrow, you know, can I borrow 50 bucks from, from you for this? Go, yeah, sure, let me help you out. You know, and you feel like they're in, they're in a difficult position, Right? And so you give them their 50 bucks, and, and, and they go, okay, I'll pay you back when I can. And, and you know, you, you see them at, like, Wendy's the next day, and they're getting, like, the full meal, right? And what goes through your head? I don't even order the full meal at Wendy's. Right? They owe me 50 bucks, and they haven't even told me. Yet they feel like they can splurge at Wendy's? Is it just me that does that? I hope not. Because borrowing puts this strain on our relationships. We have to be careful. We need to be wise about those things while being generous, as God calls us to be. Too many relationships have fallen out over money. Is it really worth it? I'm not sure. Also, consider your relationships that you have in your marriage, with your kids, your friends. When you give generously to your relationship, I'm not talking about money, you invest in your relationship with others, the rewards will be there. If you have a friend and giving the time, making the time to spend time together, investing in that will reap great dividends if you're looking for a good investment. It's there. But when we withdraw... When we take advantage, when, you know, we, get, we, we receive but we never give, what happens? At some point, the relationship is like, no, thanks, because it's meant to go both ways. Marriage as well. It's a bit like a bank account. You, you input in it. You, you invest in it. And there's times when withdrawals happen for guys more often than not. But, you know, those things happen. You invest in the relationship to strengthen it so that when there's times that things go wrong or you say the wrong thing or, or there's a strain in it, it doesn't blow up or it doesn't go, you don't go bankrupt because you've invested generously in your relationship with your kids. Make the time at whatever age group they're in. Make the time, even if it feels a little awkward, and there's certain stages of life it can feel like that, make the effort. It'll pay off in the end. Generosity strengthens while borrowing strains a relationship. 
Generosity, another thought I have here today, generosity shouldn't enable irresponsibility, but encourage truth-telling. Stay with me here. When someone asks us for money, should we ever be giving to them out of guilt or pity? Shouldn't our investment in their lives involve some sort of communication or verbal transaction? And really being providing the help that they need? Why don't you think about that? Sometimes we give to others and we don't know and we don't want to know what they're going to do with it. We give it to them because we feel a little guilty at the moment and we thought, I got, I got to do something because they're asking. My question for you, and I don't have all the answer to this, is to consider how do we give? Can we give generously if we're not sure what's happening there? I know there are times we have to trust, but it's important for us, I think, to consider that there's a responsibility that can happen. Giving to appease our conscience because we don't want to give of our time, I think is the opposite of giving our time to talk about the real needs so we can respond wisely and truly help others. Have you ever pulled out of Walmart, pulled up to the stoplight and you see the individual there or you're coming off the 401 at one of those exits and the person's there and you know that they're looking for money. They've got a cup there. And something twinges inside of you where you're like, oh, I feel really guilty. I don't want to make eye contact because I feel really bad about that person and their situation. And I, and I don't know what to do. And sometimes we give money because, okay, is that, and we give that money to them because, oh, I feel so much better driving away. And it, we feel better but have we really helped that person? Say, well, well, Al, I can't get involved in all of those things and stuff. I'm not sure. I'm just, I'm doing this because I feel this impression. And I understand that because I think God works through all of that stuff. All I'm asking us to do is to think a little bit farther and think, how can we best help other people? Maybe a gift card, maybe buying 10 gift cards with $5 on them might be a better idea because you know they're going to get some food. Just a thought. My last thought here is this. Generosity is way bigger than money. It's to be modeled in every part of our lives. I would go so far as to say holistic generosity sets the bar for followers of Jesus. We're to be generous in every part of our lives. Everything that we do, we're to show generosity. And I love what Brad Forbesma, if you haven't heard of Brad, he, he wrote this book and has a website called I Like Giving, and he has a podcast called The Wow Factor. If you, if you like podcasts, and I encourage you to listen to his stuff. He created this, Seven Ways of Living Generously. And I just want to go through them real quick before we finish today. Next slide there. There we go. Seven ways of living generously. 
We can live generously with our thoughts. The way we think about situations, sometimes giving people the benefit of the doubt in the people in our relation, that we're in relationship with. Sometimes uh, the people that we're in marriage or family or close friends will say something and our mind misconstrues it or it thinks, what do they mean by that? Why can't we be generous in that situation and go, I don't know what they meant by that, but I'm sure they didn't mean bad from that. How about being generous with our words? Letting people know how much we appreciate them. Thanking them. Figuring out their love language and using that to show our appreciation to them. If it's writing a note or getting them something. We, sometimes we can hoard our words and not be generous with letting people know. Because, oh, I don't want to get them arrogant. You know, that, or that's their job. Well, it may very well be. But don't we all love to hear when somebody says, you know what? I really appreciate you doing that for me. Saying thank you. How about being generous with our time? You know, if you're a time person, and I tend to be, you know, you block out time for certain things. Why couldn't we block out time in there to do something for somebody else? to help them in need, to, to respond to a need and go, you know what, I can change my plans to help out that person today. I can give some time to help them or I can, I can give in this way to help them with and spend some time with them. Of course we could do that. Our money, we've already talked about today. Our influence, he says. Maybe you have a level of influence and, and maybe in a certain situation, you know, there's there's, there's people that, uh, you know, in the job place, and they're looking for, uh, uh, they have a job that needs to be filled. You might be able to go, hey, this person I know, I'm going to talk to them and tell them to apply for that. In fact, I'll do a reference for them. Using our influence in situations, generously, giving people our attention. Well, that's sort of there. Gener- being generous with our belongings, I'm not talking about, okay, you just give everything away and at the end of the week your garage is empty and you're like, where did my chainsaw go? I can't find it, right? You you gotta keep track. But being willing to do that at times, being generous, oftentimes people will reciprocate that and you can build a great and deep relationship. This is work. Choosing generosity is work, but it's so worth it. And best of all, it follows that model that God has laid out for us and how generous he has been to all of us, how generous he is in his character. Wouldn't it be great if we could reflect that just a little bit more to the people around us? I think so. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for those here today. I don't believe it's accident that each one of us are here this morning. Whether our our plans got changed for the long weekend, whether we came today intentionally or things worked out for us to be here, none of it was by accident. I believe every one of us here today is here because you want to speak to us. You want to reveal yourself to us. 
And so, Lord, I ask in this moment that you would challenge us to choose generosity. I know that will be different for each one of us, but that goes to show how unique you are in that you speak to each one of us uniquely about how you want us to respond to your word, to the truth, because of your love and your generosity towards us. God, help us to see you in a new light today as a generous God. Regardless of what we've experienced in our lives that may go against that, I pray that we would have a revelation today that you are a good God who is generous. And I ask God that that would overflow in our lives to the people around us. Show us creative ways that we can choose to be generous, that we can respond to the needs, that we can care for others around us, both those who may, we may only ever meet once or the people that are with us each day. May your character of generosity be said about us as people, that we are generous people. Mm -hmm. Lord, would you cause that to happen in our lives? And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're committed to helping that happen. And so keep working on us. Be patient with us, because some of us really struggle with this. Keep working on us shaping us to be more like Jesus in his generosity. And we thank you. Thank you for each one of my friends here today. Bless them today. Provide what they need in their lives, God. Be generous to them so that they would overflow from their lives to others. In Jesus' name.